0: Good morning. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me today? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the many blessings that you pour on us. God, we ask that you would uh, speak to us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, our God and King. Amen. Friends, we are continuing our journey and a sermon series that is called Back to the Grind. Uh, when we get back to our routines, we tend to experience certain feelings, and we're kind of looking at what those feelings are and how the Bible uh, can help us uh, when we're feeling like that. Uh, we looked at feeling overwhelmed, and we looked at the story of Esther, as to how uh, Esther was overwhelmed by the task that was ahead, uh, but we, but she knew that she was placed as the queen, for such a time as this. Uh, And last week we looked at feeling disconnected, uh, disconnected from those around us. uh, And we looked at the story, uh, we looked at two stories, the woman who washed um, the feet uh, of Jesus uh, and Barnabas, the woman who washed the feet of Jesus, uh, we associated her to be Mary Magdalene. uh, And she took an expensive jar of perfume and poured it on Jesus's uh, head. And all the people around her judged her for that. but Jesus did not judge her, but rather she said, he said that her actions will be remembered. Uh, and we considered what it means for us to walk into a room, a small group, uh, so that we can be connected to Jesus. And also we looked at the story of Paul uh, and Barnabas. Um, Paul who was named Saul when this story took place. Um, Paul is the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament, and he was completely disconnected uh, with the Christian community and Barnabas went out seeking for Paul. And when he found him, he brought him with him. In what we considered is, is God placing someone on your heart that you need to go and invite them to come and be part of a small group. And so today we're looking at the story um, of uh, the feeling of feeling insignificant. The word insignificant means that you feel small. When you are around some individuals, you feel like you're not supposed to be at the table. You feel like you've not earned the right to speak. And even if you do speak, uh, is anyone going to hear what you have to say? This feeling is quite the opposite uh, when you feel like you're the smartest one in the room or you own the place. This is completely different from that. When you're feeling insignificant, we wonder, do I matter? Do my words matter? Do I matter? I remember when I first uh, attended a conference in Baltimore, um, um, and this conference was about the Gospel of John. And I remember as a young graduate student walking into the room uh, that was filled with students and um, a bunch of guest lecturers, and most of the ones who were presenting the papers where the first time, actually, I read about their books. Uh, and... And I was just awestruck walking into these, this room, and I was just, like, fascinated at their work. And now I'm actually seeing these individuals that I read about in person. And I had to introduce myself to a scholar named Gail O'Dale, uh, and, I said, and I could barely speak. I said, uh, um, um, uh, uh, my name's Johnson. Like, you know, I couldn't even say my name to her. And then I thought, I wonder how this is how people feel when they meet Brad Pitt. So anyway, right? Feeling insignificant. It all depends on where where you are and who you're with, right? And this morning, if you are feeling insignificant, I want to share with you from the Bible that you are not insignificant. That you matter. What you say matters. What you do, you can contribute despite feeling like you are a nobody And if you're hearing this and saying, pastor, it sounds like good pop psychology. Let me say that this is grounded in the Bible. It is grounded in God's holy word for us. This morning, we read the story from 2 Kings chapter 5. There are several characters who are introduced uh, in a rapid succession. First, we are told about a man named Naaman. He was the commander of the army um, and right away, we are told about his position. He's the commander for the king of Aram. Aram could be considered Syria as well. And this individual is given an accolade right away in verse 1. We are told that he was a mighty warrior. He rose to be a commander because of his bravery and how he handled himself in the battlefield. This was the title that he earned. It was not He earned on his own merit. This position is not something that he earned by being born into the monarchy or being close to the king. In this culture, if you were close to the king or in proximity to those in power, you would be given all kinds of titles. But here the author is taking pains to say and reminding us that he earned this on his own. He's a self-made man. There's more to him than being just a courageous soldier. Uh, Naaman had the, f- had the favor of the Lord. The living God, the God of the Hebrews, looked favorably on him. And when he went into battle uh, with Israel, God looked favorably on him. And he was able to win that battle. Life seems perfect uh, for this individual. But there's one thing. This courageous warrior whom God's favor rests has leprosy. This means that he is forced not to be in public and is deemed unclean. Against this backdrop of who this individual Naaman is, enters an unnamed girl. The author of the book of Kings uh, just gave us a biography of this man named Naaman. But this girl who was enslaved, taken away from our home in Israel, is not named. I'm sure she has a name, but... She's so insignificant that there's not even a mention of her name. Verse 2, this is what we read. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him from leprosy. This man, Naaman, was actually responsible for The enslavement of this Jewish girl. We don't know anything about her family, friends, relatives. Just that she was captured from Israel and now worked for Naaman's wife. She's a victim of forced labor. She has no choice but to work for this man. If she dare think about disobeying the orders that were given to her or tries to escape, she will die. It is in these working conditions... And current reality is this girl speaks to Naaman's wife. I know Naaman was called a mighty warrior. I know that he was courageous in battle. But look at the courage of this girl. She knew the man of God lived in Samaria. She knew that she worshiped the living God who has the power to heal and continue to heal all those who seek him. And this young girl knew her God And was willing to speak. Even though she did not have the right to be at the table. She was able to share her faith. To the most powerful man's wife. This girl is insignificant in in this story. When you look at the amount of words that tell this story. it's, It's 518. And the girl speaks only 23 words. Yet without those twenty-three words, the entire story would fail. The advice that that this slave girl gives goes all the way to the king of Aram or Syria, and the carrier and the king of Syria then sends a letter to the king of Israel, so that no harm is done to Naaman while he and he comes in peace. Here's what's ironic about. The King of Israel, because he panics. This is what we read in verse seven. and as soon as King of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, "Am I God? Can I bring back Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? Is he trying to pick a quarrel with me? See, the King of Israel thinks that he's the one who's supposed to perform the miracle. The king does not know, does not know how to cure this man from leprosy. And he thinks if he doesn't cure Naaman's leprosy, then the king of Syria would wage a war against him. And here is the irony. The king of Israel does not know that the man of God is in Samaria. The young slave girl is more in tune with God's movement in the kingdom of Israel than the king of Israel. Here is a challenge for us to consider, friends, this morning. This young enslaved girl knew about the man of God. She speaks about the living God to one of the most powerful persons. And her message is taken seriously. That it travels to the king of Syria, to the king of Israel. Here is my ask or a question for us to consider. Do you know anyone who is in need of God? Who's in need of prayer? Do you know anyone who could benefit from prayer? Do you know anyone who could benefit from an invitation to be part of a Christian community? be part of this church? Do you know anyone? Is God prompting you to say something to a friend or a family member or a co-worker? It could be as simply as I'm praying for you. If you don't mind, can I share my faith in Jesus with you. I don't have a lot of fancy words, but Jesus gave me new life and hope. When I was struggling, Jesus helped me. I'm certain he'll do the same for you. Or you could consider saying this. I think you and your kids could really benefit from being part of a Christian church. You'll have an opportunity to learn about what it means to be a Christian and being part of a Christian community. I know you're feeling alone right now, but this group of church people meet once a month for lunch. You should come. When we hear the Spirit of God saying those things to us, we can kind of have another voice telling us as well, who am I to tell this person I'm praying for them? I'm going to look like a joker when I say I believe in Jesus. I'm going to sound crazy. I'm going to sound crazy if I say, Jesus really helped my life. I'm not going to do that. If you think you're hearing those voices where you feel like your words don't matter, I want you to hear the courage of an enslaved girl living in a foreign land who said, I know a man of God in Samaria. Friends, if a slave girl can say that to a complete foreigner, I'm sure you'll have this courage to say that to your friend that you know for God who heals and who continues to heal. The next part of the story takes a strange turn after the king of Israel tears his clothes, afraid of the king of Syria and and its commander Naaman. The prophet's voice is heard. He's telling the king, send the commander to my house. And Naaman and his Anraj, everybody walked to him. Remember, this is Naaman, the mighty warrior, a commander in the army, and the person who has earned the favor of God and the king of Syria. Naaman has everything that he needs. And Naaman is actually a pretty wealthy man. This is what he took with him. We read that he took 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of clothing. That's a lot of money. This great man arrives at the prophet's house, and he's greeted by the serb, prophet's servant or messenger, however you want to read that story. Prophet Elijah does not come out of his house to talk to this great man. Elijah sends this messenger out and says, "Go tell this guy who's outside that he needs to do certain things in order to be healed." That is bizarre. And Naaman is confused by the greeting. He did not expect this kind of reception. We read in verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out and stand and call the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Are not Abana and Paraphera rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't have washed in them to be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's complaints are twofold. He expected the prophet to come out and greet him. This is a normal thing to do. He was hoping the prophet would lay his hands over him, pray over him, and call the living God. This is not what he expected. And Naaman, again, shows of his love for his own country. He thinks the rivers in his own country are much better than the river Jordan. He does not understand why he would need to go and wash himself seven times in the river Jordan. The prophet made Naaman feel insignificant if you think about it. Despite having everything, he feels like he is a nobody before the prophet. And now he has a choice. He has a choice to listen to the prophet and do something ridiculous by washing himself seven times in the river Jordan or return home with leprosy. And here, what happens again the servants who were with him, with Naaman, they urge him to listen to the prophet and do what the prophet commanded him to do. Here again, we are reminded about those insignificant servants who are not named. Help Naaman once again. Naaman needs to be cleansed from leprosy. He can't do it on himself. Even though he has the favor of the friend, favor of the king, he can't help himself. So Naaman listens to The servants humbles himself and goes to the Jordan and washes himself seven times. In listening to the insignificant servant girl, and then later the servants who traveled with him, he finds redemption. He finds healing. So in verse 14 and 15, this is what we read. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean. Like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Naaman, the commander, the mighty man of mighty valor, declares that there is a living God only found in Israel. Naaman rejoices in his healing. All this was possible because someone who felt insignificant told the truth in love. They did not shrug and were afraid of what the consequences might be, but they spoke in love. Friends, may you be the voice that is willing to share the good news of Jesus to those around you. May you be the one willing to say, let me share with you about Jesus. I believe He's the living God, but because when you do, they will find hope and healing in Jesus. I recently learned about this story uh, before I share this story. I want you to rem- be reminded of middle school again. You know I spoke about middle school a couple of weeks ago, right? In middle school, the best way to survive is not to draw attention to yourself. Amen right you don't want to stand out you don't want to do anything where someone's going to make fun of you because if they start making fun of you it's going to stick that is the reality of middle school this is what i learned a few weeks ago there's two students in our youth group that are part of, that are in middle school here in north northly middle school and almost weekly they invite somebody or the other to come to youth group on Sunday nights. They actually brought their friends to youth group on Sunday nights from school. If a middle school student can speak to their peers about coming to church, I think we as adults can share the good news of Jesus to those who need to hear it. Amen. God, we ask that you would give us the strength (laughs) to speak your word. those who need it. Even when we feel afraid and significant, God, give us the courage. Give us the courage to declare your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.